The day has arrived, Dan Nathan. Wednesday, March 22nd, 1 p.m. on the East Coast, just literally minutes away from the geniuses at the Federal Reserve determining the fate of our nation. This is Market Call. Today's Market Call, Dan, brought to you by FactSet. Financial data and analytics are, in fact, powered by tomorrow. And, folks, if you're watching on YouTube, hopefully you're subscribing. But if you're not subscribing, Dan, what do they need to do? Smash the subscribe button? That's not easy to say. No, just just hit it. Just 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 press just it. Subscribe. And I don't even know. You know, some some people's machines have have a button. Some just you just kind of click your little right. uh, your mouse guy. You know what I mean? I don't. I know. don't just, know what you mean. I I've actually I have no I have no idea what any of this stuff. Well, you know means, what's funny? All right, so let's just, with you. so 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 you all know Amanda's back. We're getting things organized. Our boys uh, Jacob and Steven did some very very heavy lifting um, while she was away for three months. Um, but we got to get our ducks in a row here, man. We got lots of people listening, viewing, consuming our content in different places. We kind of got off Twitter while Amanda was gone. We didn't tell her. We didn't really tell her that we were getting off the video. We, we kept oh, it on the DL. We kept it on the DL. Maybe maybe you could have slid into her DMs, guy, and let her know while she was burping baby Cece. Um, but we really want to focus on that YouTube channel because we really like the functionality, the chat functionality, and all that sort of stuff. So um, it helps us get more engaged with you guys. Um, yeah, so you said, guy, it's the final count. How many, how many boxes do you think CNBC is going to have up at 145 eight, today? They have the eight box without question. Yeah, I mean, I think that – I don't know how never, much – Have you ever been invited No, I in refuse to do that. Not that I'm some big shot, but there's no, no effing way that you're I would definitely subject not myself shot. to that. As a matter of fact, I mean, since you're going down this route – uh, since we since the COVID era, fast money puts us in boxes, even if we're there all together, which I find odd. But you know, whatevs. Um, yeah, whatevs, dude. Um, okay, let's talk about this thing. Um, and, and again, you know, I listen. I think you and I, I think we are going to make um, a more concerted effort. We hear a lot of feedback from people about certain things. I got certain things up my, you know, what guys got certain things up his new, new, you know, I mean, like, let's just be clear. You know, you got your fed thing. I got my Tesla thing, my Elon thing. And, and I think we said, we're going to try to do less of those. Didn't we say that? Like that was our kind of, um, new year's resolution a little bit. Yeah. Well, I didn't make one, but I hear you. (laughs) We're going to try to broaden it out a little bit here. Um, and, 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 and I guess be constructive. I mean, I, I think that, you know, what you've laid out over a year and a half about the monetary policy, about the inflation fighting, about all this sort of stuff. I mean, I, I think it's been very clear. I think you've been very right about it. And now it really is a question of where do we go from here? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so it's not about it, it. To me, it's less about the reasons for it all. You sent over um, in our chat, Kevin Warsh, a former um, Fed governor, right? Or he's on the board of the board of the Fed, right? And 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 I think it was during the Trump administration. And you know, it was an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal talking about a new economic regime that needs to be had here. And he makes a lot of great points. I think that they're bipartisan for all intents and purposes, guy. But you know, at the end of the day, he's railing against the easy money policy that caused mm-hmm. a lot of this stuff. Well, what, when he was at the Fed, um, they had uh, unusually uh, easy money policy. They also made. I think one of the biggest bonehead moves, and I think you do too, the pivot in late 2018, you know what I mean? Like, so when you think about what I think a lot of strategists, investors, economists are considering what this, if if what is going on right now, like equates to a pivot, right? Based on this little mini banking crisis that we've had. I mean, think about how this dwarfs what happened in Q4 of 2018, guy. Yeah, without question. I mean, 2008, 
That was interesting because Jerome Powell was effectively new in the job. You had the Trump administration and been there for a year and a half or so. So you had a lot of things going on, right? I mean, you know, candidate Trump was talking about the Fed inflating bubbles and keeping things too low for too long to help the Obama administration, which in part was actually probably true. And then when he was President Trump, he did a complete 180 and then talked about how the Fed was holding us back, our economic juggernaut, and they're hamstringing us and rates are too high and the dollar's too strong. And as the market then went down 19.9% from October to December, I think Jerome Powell acquiesced. And I don't want to do this sort of counterfactual stuff, but I will tell you, he was on the right track trying to reduce the balance sheet and raise rates back then. History will talk about it in a different way, I'm sure. But here we are now. And the reason why I get so exercised is, so let's just play it out. And this is going to happen in the next hour or so. Let's say the Fed caves in and you know does nothing or 25 basis points, but it's dovish as hell. So effectively, this is what transpired. You know, In trying to fix effectively this banking system that was broken because they raised rates 475 basis points over the course of nine months to fight the inflation that they begged for and thought they could control prior by leaving rates low for a period of time. I mean, effectively, what's happening here is they're trying to correct the mistakes of the mistakes of the mistakes that they made. So it's effectively the Fed batting against themselves constantly, and we sort of the collateral damage all because of it. And if you don't think it's true, folks, just go back and look. I mean, all the things that are transpiring now, I can all, all of it, Sam Bankman, Freed, SPACs, all the shit you can put at the foot of the Federal Reserve. Yeah, I mean, listen, that's fine. I, I, I mean, God, you and I, I mean, and I think our um, viewers know that y- you know you and I have a, a, a kind of differing view there on on that. And and you know, I, I go back and I look at the last twenty some years, and I look at um, you know some of the stuff that they've kind of helped avoid. I also look at some of the stuff that they've helped cause, and I look at just the fact that in a period right now, and we talked about it a little bit on Fast Money last night. I mean. They don't have a freaking clue, you know, and we kind of mentioned it um, uh, on Market Call yesterday also because Doug Cass had a really good uh, post on realmoney.com and he was kind of invoking his Kramer circa 07. They know nothing. And, and again, I mean, I, I think that, you know, any central banker, anybody like dictating economic policy in the period that we've just been in over the last three plus years or so, I mean, it, it's been about as challenging as any period over the last 100 years. So let's let's just be honest. And so how does that trickle down right to businesses, to large businesses? What we're seeing all these companies now kind of retrench a bit, cut costs, right? Mm-hmm. Like fire workers, they were they they were hiring any worker that wasn't bolted down two years ago, right? And and so they were, you know, signing up licenses fees for any piece of SaaS software they thought was going to make them more productive. And, and, you know, like the list goes on and on and it happened in small businesses and medium sized businesses. It happened in households. We've seen, you know, credit go berserk or whatever. And I mean, so I guess my point is, is like all of this stuff is, is not easy, right? Like think about how frequently I know as a trader, as an investor, how wrong I am about things that make um, pr- certain practical sense at the moment in, 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 the, in the market that I'm in and the data that I'm relying on. And um, so I, I listen, I, I think they have a hard job here. And um, but I'm with you on the fact that I think for them not to stay the course with inflation, um, I, I think would be a real problem here, because if that were to reignite just this kind of the, this, the hyper cycles that we are going to be having, right, like these booms and busts, it's just going to it's sooner or later something's going to go really wrong right? right it's exactly right because you know again do they have a hard job yeah you know do i do, do, am i sympathetic absolutely not 
you know, it's that it's that King Henry the Fourth thing. Heavy yeah. is the, or uneasy is the head that lies the crown. I'm not Fed chair. You know, it's interesting, and we'll move on from this. But yeah. you know, I I'm no fucking genius, as I think everybody here knows. But yeah. I, I was saying, what are you talking about? There's no inflation. How do you? How in your wildest dreams do you think this is transitory? Was pretty, you know, it was crystal clear to me. So the fact that it wasn't to them is somewhat problematic. But I get you. You know, they got a tough job. Uh, you know, I'm not Fed chair. When I am, we'll have a different conversation. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I mean, you know, I mean, the point is, is that they, they, they have lots of different masters are solving lots of different things. They also have egos. You know, they're market participants, whether you like to believe that or not. I think that they probably, you know, that whole heavy is the head. Um, I think they do feel I, I actually think, you know, and I, I know a lot of people. You know, I, I'm just saying I don't know them personally, but I, I've seen lots of, um, you know, very prominent sort of like, you know, economic voices who know Jerome Powell well. They know him from his past life, you know, professional before he was at the Fed. And I think that they he he does believe a lot of the stuff that he says. I think he is concerned about income inequality and the policies of the Fed. You know what I mean? On, on doing that, I do. And I just think, again, I just think it's a tough job. All right. Let's bring it back to the markets, though, here, guy, because, you know, again, you know, if if it so what what all right, let's just look at the range of outcomes here. Okay. Pause. Okay. If they pause, we talked about it last night on the on fast money. If they pause, then all of a sudden do people just get really worried that like what lies beneath of this little kind of mini banking mm -hmm. crisis, right? And they've already used extraordinary measures to just stem the tide of these kind of failures of a half dozen regional banks okay like like so think about that right so let's just say they do 25 which the cme fed funds tracker is pricing about an 80 percent probability that they do that um but then they kind of just say listen you know we're just going to wait and see we've seen some progress on inflation which they had um to some degree right you know what i mean it's not going to get near their two percent goal which again we could debate whether that's smart or not or whatever um and then that's probably kind of a sort of neutral to bullish sort of scenario right and then one where they just go just to stay the course. I mean, the ECB just raised 50 basis points, mm -hmm. right? And they, they do another 50. Uh, do you think that the equity markets, what do you think they're priced for right now? Because again, we were talking about, you know, a VIX where it is right here at 21. I mean, like, think about that. I mean, yeah. think about like the lack of fear in the market right now. So I, it feels as though to answer that question, it's priced for a dovish 25 point hike. And, and I'm not trying to be, you know, glib here. I think that means... We raise 25. We say we're done. Data dependent. Understanding, you know, some of the things that have transpired over the last couple of weeks, and we're going to keep a keen eye on things. That, to me, I think is what the market's anticipating. Um, more dovish than that is, hey, we broke something. We do nothing here. We remain data dependent. And that headline, I think, whether it's bullish or not, the algorithms will pick that up, and S and P futures will be up, you know, percent and a half, two percent under that set of circumstances. And the other one. You know, staying the course, I don't think the market's prepared for that. And you brought up ECB. You were correct to do that. I will say this, and I think EY brought it up as well. Yes, the ECB went 50. They needed to go 50. They have a much bigger, believe it or not, inflation problem that we do, if you look at the data over the last couple of weeks. But I think they did the right thing. I think they saw what happened. They saw that the tide was somewhat stemmed. The, obviously, you know, here in the United States, I mean, I think we've plugged that leak on that side of the equation. So... If they have fixed that problem, in essence, you know, going 50 basis points here to me sort of makes sense. I just don't think it's going to happen. So it's a question of whether it's a hawkish 25 or a dovish 25. And that's what you have to sort of interpret from whatever language they use and whatever in the subsequent Q&A brings us. Yeah. So so given um, and, and 
you know, you and I talked about this a little bit yesterday. Some of these charts look pretty good, right? If you pull up that kind of NASDAQ 100 mm -hmm. chart, it's gotten right back to kind of that early February high. Um, it looks like a bit of a flag here. You got that kind of double, triple bottom from October, November, um, you know, late December, January. And, you know, it, it feels pretty constructive. It also held that 200-day moving average. Um, you know, Doug Cash just pings me here, and he and I are on the same side of this trade here. Um, this was today in his um, – Unreal Money, he's saying he's adding to his QQQ short. I just mm -hmm. added a little bit to mine. Markets are the strongest when they are broad and weakest when they are narrow. Um, Bob Farrell's rules of investing, number seven, the market is reverting to the narrowness that preceded the several recent market tops. And I, I, I really do agree with that. Look at the move that an Alphabet has just had, the move that a Microsoft, um, Apple has just had, obviously NVIDIA um, and Tesla. And so to me, when you take the backdrop guy of the weakness in financial names in general, right, and the crowding into these smaller names, I just kind of feel like I, I said it on Friday, I said it on Monday, um, this is the place that I want to be. And the last point is, is that if, if, if it's perceived to be more hawkish, than people are pricing right now, that's going to hit tech really hard because mm -hmm. to me, like that, that is kind of the focal point of this. And I think on the other side of this kind of financial mess here is a weaker economy that will work itself through to tech. Um, and I think we're likely to see that in kind of margin and earnings guidance as we get into kind of Q1 earnings next month. Yeah, I agree with that. We have a question from V. We can pull it up. How do you see two's 10 spread playing out? I mean, I think V, we've done a decent job with that one. You know, I, I know if you've been here, you know, we taught, we thought it'd go to a 1% inversion and went to 110 basis points. Then we talked about how there would be this sort of snapback. You know, rates would go down in sort of a flight to quality. Now, I will tell you, you know, the flight to quality was on the back of what happened, obviously, with Silicon Valley Bank and some of these other banks. I thought it would be on the back of a precipitous market sell-off, but it happened nonetheless. And now here we are at what I want to say. I didn't look at it that closely in the last hour or so, but it's probably around 45, 50 basis points or so. So you know, EY will tell you 60. that. That snapback is actually worse than, you know, than it was when we were 1% inverted. So, you know, she would say now this is the lead up to whatever word you want to use in terms of the economic cycle. And I happen to agree with her. So I don't know necessarily where the inversion goes from here, but I think to a certain extent, the die has been cast as to what it'll mean for the market, Dan. Yeah, no, it's interesting when you think about, um, I, I, you know, we've seen tons of charts about inversions and relative to other things. And when you think about um, it doesn't really, uh, you know, from what I can tell, as far as what happens to markets, what happens as far as like the economic recession that comes after those sorts of inversions, the, the, the length of the inversion and, and the depth of it are not always like, I think the determinant of what happens next um, for whatever that's worth. So I think it's interesting um, from a nuanced um, standpoint here. Um, what sectors guy would you want to let, let let's work on this premise that the market gets a little surprised right that the the fed chair pal they put all of these unusual activity in place in lockstep with the fdic the white house has made comments so they're trying to jawbone a sense of stability right and let's mm -hmm. just say listen we're going to state the course here on our battle with inflation, we're going to get the job done. These are the sorts of language that they had been giving over the last few months. So let's just say they do 25 and whatever they say in the presser seems to be a bit more hawkish. 
what happens to different sectors and stocks? Like, like, so, so, so we just talked about tech. We don't really kind of have to go um, there in a way. Um, but I'm just curious. Are there other sectors that you're concerned about? Um, energy um, is that one? Again? Yeah. Well, I mean, energy's look. OIH has had this pretty precipitous sell-off. Um, yeah. We seem to have found a level again. You know, every time it gets down around that 250 level, it seems to find a home and subsequently bounces. And here we are. We're probably, if I had it up there, it is, right? It's a 200-day moving average. So it makes sense. But energy is clearly in the crosshairs of a lot of people. You know, I just saw a note. There's some folks out there that still think we're going to see $120 crude by the end of this year. Just again, on the back of supply demand fundamentals, which are completely out of whack. It doesn't look that way right now, obviously. And, you know, we'll see if it plays out. But if that were to happen, you know, obviously you're going to get a commensurate bounce in these names. But I would submit, and I said this on the show last night, Dan, when you start seeing people talk about how semis are no longer a cyclical group, I mean, yeah. that's typically when you have to have your antenna up and say, wait a second, you know, did what changed in the world that this is no longer a cyclical industry? Because last I looked, it was, and I made that mistake years ago. Um, I remember like it was yesterday, Micron was on this huge move. Uh, the company am- announced, I think it was a $50 million some ridiculous amount. It was a, it was a huge stock buyback, um, and I said to myself, "Wow, that's really interesting." Micron yeah. has the clarity to start talking about stock buybacks. They no longer see themselves as a commodity. Uh, they no longer see themselves as cyclical. And within a two or three months, the stock went down about forty percent. So my point is, as much as the semis want to get away from that cyclicality, it's a very cyclical group. So I would submit, given the run that they have had. You got to be really careful in some of these semi names, which have gotten way ahead of themselves. Yeah, well, it's interesting, you know, when you look at the SMH, right? And um, hopefully the guys can pull that one up here. I, you know, that's a one year. I mean, that looks about as beautiful as a kind mm-hmm. of bottoming formation, head and shoulders sort of bottom there. You see that neckline um, right in around these same levels. You see that it's well above its 200 day moving average. Maybe they can back it out. Um, five years or so, um, just to give just a broader sense. And we know that, you know, again, you know, NVIDIA is 13.5%, Taiwan Semi is 12%, AMD is 5.5%. So, you know, you have a couple stocks that are kind of driving the train here. um, And, you know, listen, the charts look good. I mean, like the charts, a lot of this stuff in tech, they really do pull up this Apple chart, guys, because this is one at 160. And you look at how far this stock has come when you think about really what's in the crosshairs of a, a kind of heated up geopolitical situation with China um, in Taiwan. President Xi is in Russia right now. He is at the Kremlin meeting with Putin. When you think about, and you and I have talked about this ad nauseum, the kind of um, precedent that was set by U.S. multinationals, right, pulling out of Russia, um, all of the sorts of export bans that we have had, you know, with all the sanctions with Russia. I mean, if China were to do anything, I mean, just anything uh, with Taiwan, um, even like a blockade, some sort of economic stuff or whatever, there's going to be a lot of pressure for U.S. multinationals mm-hmm. who rely on manufacturing, rely on those, um, you know, those end markets uh, for demand, that sort of thing. So, it, you know, it just it just doesn't seem like there's a whole heck of a lot of fear in the market when you consider the period that we just went through. And, and I, you know, I spent a lot of time talking to VCs. I talked to people who are um, running companies that are in the private markets where the cost of capital, the access to capital has just gotten so much harder. There's a lot of cost cutting going on. I don't think they see that changing at any time soon, guys, especially given the lack of clarity um, with the market. And I say to myself, man, you know, bring it back to the public markets. And we got, again, 
we got no fear in the market, right? And we still no. have S&P earnings expected to be up high single digits. And that's the thing that just doesn't square with me right now. Yeah. You know, again, so much of the bull case is everybody's bearish. I mean, that's pretty lazy in my opinion. I mean, you know, so much of the so much of the bear case for a long time was everybody's bullish. Well, guess what? You know, that happened to be right for a long time. So people can be bearish and collectively bearish and right, by the way. It doesn't have to be counterintuitive. And your point about China is well taken. I've brought it up a number of times. But, you know, what happens if the Chinese decide they're going to sell arms to the Russians or yeah. supply them with arms? What is what is Apple going to do on the back of something like that? I mean, there are a lot of things out there that I don't think the market is taking into consideration. That unholy alliance that continues to strengthen between the Russian and the Chinese I mean, whether we realize it or not or want to acknowledge it or not, that's an existential threat to what's going on here in the United States. And I'm not being hyperbolic here. I mean, it's just flat out true. I mean, they have a concerted effort to watch us, um, you know, effectively go away in some way, shape or form. And I think they're going to do everything in their power to try to make that happen without us noticing until it's too late. So yeah. well, just you know, be aware because it's there. You know, guy, I don't only only make podcasts with you. Um, I also listen to them. Um, oh. You know, a friend of ours who's been on the pod, uh, our pod, and we got to have him actually back. I was listening to a Pod Save the World with Tommy Vitor this morning, who is, you know, a foreign, for, former foreign policy advisor in the Obama White House, and he does a, a great pod um, with Ben Rhodes, who was obviously, uh, I, or not obviously, but Ben Ben had the same sort of role. Um, and, you know, these guys were talking about this situation in a, in, in a way is like, you know, President Xi didn't have to go and actually say the words, we support, you know, I mean, Russia's efforts here. Like just him being mm -hmm. in Russia, A, does that, okay? And that's signaling to the uh, to the rest of the world, signaling to us. But he also mentioned this, and I thought this was really interesting in a way, is that, you know, the Ukrainians are, are I guess, going to mount a spring offensive. They've been talking about it. They've been trying to restock, you know, like their, their um, you know, munitions and all the, all the like. But they're not having an easy time doing it. And if there was never – if there wasn't any really great progress, it seems like China would love to kind of orchestrate some sort of peace agreement that would actually give Russia a lot more land. This is – I'm listening to the guys this morning on Pod Save the World than they had a year ago. And, and to your point, because you've mentioned this on many occasions, how does Putin – like, how does he claim victory on this stuff? Well, he could easily claim victory. He's like, we have this bridge to Crimea. We took over that seven, eight years ago or whatever. We did what we meant to do here. We stood up to the West. We stood up to NATO, okay? And th this is the success. And now we actually have a better partnership with China. You know what right. I mean? So, so like, when you think about that, that is a, a, a really interesting geopolitical uh, situation. But it is also, I think that would be really negative for crude oil guy. I mean, that's the one thing I'll just bring it back to. Commodities, crude acts so badly, in my opinion, right here at 70. Supposedly, you know, they had this tailwind of the China reopening trade. I mean, what happens if there is peace? And listen, I hope there's peace in Ukraine. I don't you know. No one wants to see more people die and, you know, that sort of thing. And, and like from the West standpoint, guy, I'm just curious. Oh, look at that one right there. That's 200 day. From the West standpoint, I think at this point, for a cooler, like, geopolitical situation, like, would we care? All right, so Russia got a little more land. or this. They're going to try something again in a few years. You know what I mean? I'm just curious what your thought would mean. If well, there was I mean, sort it's, of it's interesting. I hear you. It's like nobody's asking what the Ukrainians want. I and mean, they've made it yeah. pretty clear that that's a non-starter. So, yeah. you know, I mean, it's great that oh, other okay. people Hold are negotiating on peace but on their behalf, but they don't seem to be all that. In and good for them, by the way. If I were no. them, I'd say the same thing. But, but but Tommy's point 
was that if they can't make up a lot of ground with this offensive and they don't have the sort of like the backing from munitions and tanks and planes and, and the West can't get it together and the West has kind of lost some resolve for it, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. It's going to be the best deal that they could have for a while and then rearm, you know what I mean, that sort of thing, I guess, and and kind of rebuild the coalition. So like yeah. if they, no, look, it's if look they don't I, I, that's that is an outcome, right? And then yeah. the Chinese come out smelling like a rose, and yes. you know, they're the ones that brokered the peace and blah blah. Yeah. You know, I just think you know, not getting into the you know, going down this road, but it's eerily reminiscent of what happened at the end of World War II. Um, when you know, we sort of allowed the Soviet. I mean, if you remember for you fans of Patton out there, you know, he was the one that went to the president and said, Listen, give me, you know give me some people and I'll go kick the shit out of the Soviet Union. And they sort of told him to back down. It, it turns out he was probably, his assessment was right. It took a while to play out, but his instincts were right. And the same thing's going to wind up happening here. If some brokered peace happens, the Russians aren't going to go away, you know, silently into the night. They'll just sort of, to your point, they'll refortify themselves and then they'll make their next foray into something. So yeah. it's, it's, well, the, I don't know what the market would react. I mean, you, you're right. The market would react positively to that, and we'll see. But again, it's so much is contingent upon what the Ukrainians want to do, and they don't seem to be all that interested in, you know, sort of stepping down here. But to but to your other point, I mean, maybe they'll have no choice. Yeah. Well, I, I guess the market, first of all, I don't think it's like a, an S&P up 2 or 3% gap. I, I, I think what it is 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 it like it justifies that maybe a VIX – being at in and around 20. Um, it basically takes some inflationary pressures off, right? And so especially if like crude and some other industrial um, commodities were to come in here. Um, let, let's look at a couple sectors here, Guy. Um, look at this IYR. We had Carter on on Monday. We were looking at some of these REITs here. I mean, this is this is a bad chart. Um, Disaster. You know, there's some, I, I know that you you and I were chatting earlier about some kind of, you know, there's a lot of mortgage, mortgage debt and, you know, out there and, and it's on the balance sheet um, of a lot of these kind of regional banks that are under pressure here. Um, IYR looks like it's going to round trip to those kind of lows from late last year. Um, here's another one. I'm just curious. You're, you're, maybe you can kind of talk to me a little bit about this. It looked like maybe biotech, the XBI, was was a spot where just not, you know, a couple months ago felt like it was kind of off to the races um, a little bit here. Look at how that's kind of fallen mm-hmm. um, out of bed. And and I guess this kind of brings me back to, you know, Doug's uh, Doug Cass's comment about breath. It looks like we're losing, you know, we're losing parts of, of the market here, you know? And so it goes back to that yeah. kind of narrowness uh, into tech. Which I mean, is my the- explanation for healthcare or biotech or big cap pharma, I think what happened is, is people sort of, got themselves back into tech in a meaningful way. I think one of the, I think energy sort of caught the brunt of that. And I think probably healthcare to a certain extent as well. I mean, we'll see if people rotate back. You know, what's interesting about the real estate chart though, if you want to put that IYR back up, I mean, the fascinating part about that is to juxtapose that with home builder stocks, for example, a Pulte Homes, a DHI, a Toll Brothers, which are all three of them within percentage points of not only a 52-week high, but of the all-time high yeah. these stocks made back in December of 2021. So think about that for a minute. The home builder stocks are obviously telling a much different story. And we bring this up on Fast Money. As crazy as it is, I mean, as counterintuitive as it is in this environment, it's again, for them, it's a supply-demand thing. And the supply-demand imbalances in the home building world are still out there. And these stocks are you know, very quietly all sort of grinding higher. So you look at this chart, 
And now pull up, for example, like a DHI chart, if you could do it over the course of five years, Jacob, just so you can see what I'm talking about. It's remarkable how, um, how resilient these names have been. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I'd also like... It feels like we haven't talked about retailers in a while, a little bit, guy. And and you know this that remember that Home Depot that gap that it had in February, right after its earnings, and really hasn't recovered much. You know, it rallied mm-hmm. a little bit over the last week. And um, when you think about like the divergence between home building stocks and then home improvement stocks, is that something that you like you think is worth focusing on? Um, because like I, rather than chasing home builders, it might be interesting to kind of find a level, maybe it's 270 or something in Home Depot that would make um, some sense here. I'm just curious how you're thinking about some of that. Yeah, I agree with that. It's a certain point that that there's, and I don't know if we're there yet, but I'm I'm glad you brought it up. At a certain point for you folks interested in pair trades, there's going to be an opportunity to probably short some of these home builders in the form of like, is the three names I mentioned specifically and get long like a Home Depot, which I think is this chart right here. I mean, we're right at the 200 day moving average We've obviously sold off significantly since the all-time high. Again, not coincidental when we made an all-time high in that stock. And I think that's going to reward you because you could have a very meaningful double top in the home builders and a real interesting entry point for a name like Home Depot, which at least on a valuation basis has got itself a little more reasonable with this move lower over the last year, year and a half. Yeah. All right. So let's hit one. Let's hit one more chart here that I just kind of caught my eye this morning. You know, just a lot of people ask us like kind of what our processes are. And, you know, I have about um, 300 stocks and probably 100 ETFs on my main fact set page. And, um, you know, that I kind of stare at all day long. I have them separated by uh, sector. So I kind of see it as a bit of a heat map. And I'm just kind of looking at the news and, you know, like, one name as I was scrolling through some charts this morning, and I like to look at charts also, um, was Square. And I thought this thing was kind of interesting, guy. Um, you know, it had this nice ramp from $60 um, to, to basically almost $90, okay, in the start of February. Look at this kind of like downtrend that's been a series of kind of lower highs and lower lows. And um, I always find when those things match up so perfectly the way like this one has, and you look at what that 200-day moving average is, it's down, you know, I don't know, maybe like another 10% or something from here um this one kind of like looks kind of vulnerable to me it doesn't have a great um valuation in my opinion in this environment when you're especially thinking about some of these kind of um fintech models or whatever i prefer paypal i've made that uh, point on numerous occasions Thought, thoughts here i'm just curious like again this is just a chart it's uh, a, a couple months here that we're really focused on here but like it doesn't look like something you want to buy right here no and you know i'm not going to put my dan nathan hat on or my oa hat on but something like this and i listen i do not know what the volatility is yeah. uh in in square so i can't speak that intelligently but assuming that it's reasonable a put spread here would make a whole lot of sense in terms of the risk reward so yeah that to me is the setup you know these are the types of setups you've been waiting for and look for so Market gives you ample opportunity, but just eyeballing this, you know, some sort of put spread, and it probably comes in a form of like, I don't know, 65, 60. You probably have the levels better than I do. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, with a stock 70, 65, something like that. 70, 70, 60. If you want to look like to May expiration, I'll just do this on the fly. Stocks at 74 bucks right here. Okay. And I would look slightly out of the money. So the 70 put in May, all right, would cost you about uh, 575 and if I want to look down to let's say the 55 put in May okay is a dollar 75 so 575 less 175 it gives you four bucks okay so that's 15 wide 
Cost four, make up to 11. That's an okay risk reward because if you're paying four on 70, the break even is down there um, at 66. So you would have gains uh, between 66 and 55 up to 11 bucks. It's okay. I like to leg into the, some of those sometimes, mm-hmm. guys. Like I'll buy the long strike. And then if it starts going in my direction and gets in the money, then I'll sell it further down strike. Um, Makes right. sense. Yeah. So listen, we're almost out of here. Um, so at two o'clock, we got the Fed, we got the presser. Um, I just kind of want to reiterate some of the, the the kind of trades that I have on. I was out um, for a good part of early last week. I got back late last week. One of the first trades I started doing was kind of buying puts um, in the XLF. I think we're going to see lower lows. I think that interesting, that low double bottom ish guy was just below 30. Um, this was back in October. Um, and so I've been long the 31 puts, um, in April. Um, and that's one that I think that if we have higher, uh, you know, a hawkish sort of view, I think the XLF goes lower, but I also go think it goes lower with what's going on with the bank. So that's one that I'm sticking with through bank earnings, which are going to come in mid um, April. I'm also, um, short QQQ and I'm also long some puts and I'm also long, um, puts in the, uh, spy and short some of that. So that's kind of my trade right here. It seems all kind of similar. Well, I want to get one last thought guy from you we mentioned it briefly last night russell 2000 um the relative underperformance yeah by and the qqq talk to talk to us about small caps and what you think that means in this very volatile rate environment that we look i mean again i've mentioned this a number of times and i'm not submitting i'm right but i look at the russell as measured the iwm whatever small cap indice you want to look at and it's such an economic indicator i mean these are the most economically sensitive names out there. And what's been going on in the broader market is clear exuberance that I don't necessarily get, but I understand to a point. But here you look at the IW, I think that's the IWM, if I'm looking at it, maybe not, maybe it's the, whatever it is. I mean, this not performed well at all. And you say to yourself, wow, not a lot of bounce here. And, you know, yeah. you start to wonder that if the broader market were to break down, this is going to sort of, I think, accelerate to the downside. But what my point in bringing it up here, a lot of times the small caps lead the broader market. And if that's the case, it would appear as though the broader market has way gotten ahead of itself on the upside and there's some downside room uh, on the back of this. So that's why I'm looking at it. That's why I bring it up. All right, my man. Well, that was um, that was, was fun. fun. It was a, a little pre fed our little pre- i can't wait i just can't call. wait to you know i'm gonna throw shit at the screen and by the way um that ranger loss last night it played well i mean this is a team that i think had 180 minutes of shutout hockey over the last three games so they're definitely playing well but you know carolina although losing last night was outplaying the rangers the entire game dan as you know so in a lot of ways it's better that they lost a game that they should have lost instead of winning a game that they should have lost and sort of having this false bravado, which is a great line from a song, Dan Nathan. Yeah, it is. All right, listen, people, we appreciate you guys being here with us. We appreciate all the comments. Um, you know, like we're going to keep leaning into this YouTube channel. So please, if you're not subscribed, subscribe to that. Smash Share it. With friends, smash it, as our friends like to say here. Um, so, uh, we appreciate it. We appreciate fact set, um, the, all those beautiful charts. Our guys, they're getting good on the fact set machines, aren't they guy? Jacob uh, does a great job. It's great having Amanda back. Rafis just doing yeoman's work right. each and every day. And the audience is building. I mean, the amount of comments we're getting, and I'm sorry that I can't go through them all during the show, but we do take a look at them. We look at our emails for sure. So thank you for joining. And we're back tomorrow, Dan, 
one o'clock Eastern time with EY from SoFi, and I'm sure we'll drop a little butter shit as well. <laughs> yeah, we will. All right. 